Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. This is episode 1030, my interview with Andrew Binns, Corporate Explorer, how to excel at the innovation game. Enjoy. Hello, Andrew. Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. Great to have you today. Thanks for joining us. Delighted to do so, Lee. Really nice to uh, be able to join you and your listeners. That's great to have you here and thanks for coming on. You have written or co-authored a fairly uh, insightful book, uh, really about innovation is, is what I take from it. Um, but before we jump into that, maybe just give us a little bit of a background into what you do and what led yeah. you to uh, co-writing this book. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so I, um, I work with uh, leaders of corporates on how they innovate more successfully. And so I work with a lot of tech firms, uh, some financial services, um, uh, now doing an automotive company. And it's really about how do they do new things inside an established successful firm. Yeah. And whenever you try to do that, there's a bunch of innovation, but there's also a lot of leadership. It's a lot to do with how do you manage change. Mm. And it's because of that work over the last 20 years uh, that we wrote this book. Right. So not only about the innovation, but about everything that goes into innovation, i.e. leadership and the change behind it. That's right. Because you know, if you, we all know Anybody who spend any time in a, inside a corporation knows that it's like really tough to pull off any kind of innovation. Such a focus on delivering today, keeping the ship on afloat, really driving results in the short term. Uh, and, and here I am talking about the long term and how you innovate for new things. And it's tough to do. Mm. So the book is about trying to tackle all of the different pieces involved in getting that done. But one of the most important parts of that recipe is the individual who leads it, the corporate explorer who makes it happen. And that, that they're, the, they're the hero of our book. The corporate explorer. That's right. And those are people who, like an entrepreneur, yeah. they see something in the world they want to make a difference to, a, mm. a problem, something they're frustrated about, something they think could be better. And the big difference between them and an entrepreneur is they figure out how to do it inside a company with all of the assets and advantages that come from that rather than going outside and getting a VC to back them or whatever. Okay, so an entrepreneur looks for, well, sorry, just explain that difference again. So an entrepreneur well, you know, innovation. An entrepreneur is, is going to raise money from a venture capital firm if they're lucky, often start with um, with friends and family or uh, or bootstrapping it themselves. Yeah. A corporate explorer is going to do it from the company's funds. They're going to get some sort of start from the resources of the firm, but they're also then going to leverage what the firm already has by way of brand or manufacturing, engineering, whatever it might be. Mm. But um, about creating ideas and idea generation or innovation generation, can the same principles be applied, whether you're an entrepreneur or within a company? Yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you a, a, a story. Yeah. So we, we start the book with the story of uh, Christian Kurtish at the uh, Vienna-based uh, uh, insurance company, Unica. And Unica is like a $5 billion or so revenue uh, dollar firm um, serving, I think it's like 25, 27 countries across Central Eastern Europe. And um, the thing that Christian is doing is managing their Hungarian business. It's an important business, but relatively small in terms of the, the overall 
and he sees an opportunity. He looks at insurance and he says, we've lost sight of why insurance uh, you know, was created. It used to be about risk sharing communities, people pooling their risk, their money so that they could support one another in hard times. Yeah. And here we have insurance companies that have just become tower blocks full of people who are administrating policies, trying to prove that customers are defrauding them, you know, or putting in IT systems instead of serving the customers. And so he, he develops this concept, uh, which he calls share risk, of reinventing the risk sharing community, but doing so as a digital insurance business. Um, so lower cost to serve, much more user-friendly, much more flexible. Uh, but it's disruptive. It's really changing the model. All of what he just saw, he could have done outside the firm, but instead he chooses to do it inside and is able to, to, to win backing to get some funding to prove his ideas. Uh, and then now it's, it's, it's scaling it across a number of countries. Right, so that's an individual within a firm Rather than going out and setting up his own venture, he's he's yeah. he's sold it to the the company. Um, yeah, exactly. And the thing that's that's important here is that it it goes a little it goes against a couple of things that we think are true about working in a company. The first one is that they're interested in innovation. I actually find that CEOs of companies are desperately interested to have more people like Christian Kurtish pushing them with ideas oh, if yeah. they pitch them in the right way. The second I would have thing is, there would have been a lot of boundaries like to. You know, something like that, a company, you know, just stuck in their way, I suppose, or uh, stuck in their beliefs. Absolutely. That's, that's, the, that's the other side of this problem, right, is there are these really strong sort of silent killers, right, which, are, which stop people like Christian being, being successful. And, um, and they're mostly to do with the things that have um, made the company successful in the past, mm. all of the learned routines the 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 uh, um, you know in, in the case of insurance it's a bunch of actuaries who know how to know how to design an insurance product whether the customers you know want it or not it's another matter but it certainly there's a long history or but it could be electrical engineers it could be accountants everybody's got their way of doing things yeah and when somebody like this turns it upside down their first instinct can be to resist hmm yeah, once you've got your, your patterns in place and, and your ways, it's it's hard. To, again, it goes back to that change piece too, doesn't it? It now, does. But the, here's, the, here's the big thing, which is that somebody like Christian Kurtish, and Christian's not alone in the book that, we, um, uh, that we've written, um, they don't wait to be given permission to go challenge these things. Hmm. They actually do it from inside. And, it's, and, and you're right, it sounds on the face of it, that can't be done. But it has been done. Yeah. And it's been done because these leaders aren't uh, showy, seeking attention. They actually figure out how to make other people feel that they made them successful. You go into Unica, and lots of people will tell you how they were responsible for Christian's success. And he sits there and smiles and is happy. Right? He doesn't need to own it all. He just has worked his network quietly, calmly to sell his idea, help people see what could be done and not feel threatened by it. And so he's managed to lead change quite personally uh, to make this happen. Mm. So he's a, um, was he a CEO of the company? No. No? No, he was a middle manager, effectively. 
Mm-hmm. And he, he proposed this up the chain of management. He got his time in front of the management board and he used it in a way that um, put them on the spot and got them to, to, to be excited and a little bit fearful of what would happen if somebody else did what he was describing. Now, he got, he, there's fortune in this story as well. And there's no question that you want to get to a CEO who is open-minded, who has the potential to listen and, and so on. Without question, they have a big role to play. But they're not the only factor in this story, far from it. Actually, there's good examples of where having the CEO's support fails to lead to success. And I could tell you those stories as well. Yeah, so it's, sure. it's, it's important, but it's not the only factor in this. I think, you know, and then I'm just from my own experience, I suppose, and it's a little bit naive, but I assume that for, for middle management and, and people lower um, in the hierarchy of a corporation or company would have a, a little bit more difficult time um, being innovative um, because perhaps upper management doesn't allow for it and doesn't have the systems in place to let people innovate. But, again, probably to the detriment of the company because innovation in a company is, yeah. is very beneficial. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it, it adds dynamism and, uh, and uh, options for future growth uh, into a business. And, so and how can leaders and, and, learn how to build innovation into businesses? So there's really there's three sort of disciplines of innovation, Lee, that I think a company needs to look at how it does. It needs to think about how it generates ideas. Right? Now, not just ideas for an, a product to offer or a thing to do, but ideas about how to solve customer problems. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, they need to test those ideas and prove that the customers actually want them, do small-scale experiments um, to validate them, and then to scale them. needs to figure out how to assemble the customer's capabilities, capacity to actually turn a validated idea into a business. And the, the, the struggle with corporations is they tend to get trapped at the beginning. They get trapped in ideation and thinking that generating ideas is innovation, and it isn't. It's just a component of it. Uh, yeah. And it, it, it can absorb a lot of energy and a lot of money uh, but it doesn't necessarily lead to, an out, lead to an outcome that you want. And it also builds cynicism for people because they're like, hey, they asked us to get involved in this, but they're not doing anything about it. And, and, and that's, that's a problem that I'm trying to take on in this book and say, hey, you should be looking for going, thinking about innovation through the whole cycle. How do you bring it to scale? Whether it's scaling a business or scaling a product, scaling a new way of doing operations, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter what level of the business you are, you've got to think through the whole cycle. I suppose it, it requires buy-in from, from every level. And if you can't have that, then it, it's not going to work. Well, this is one of the reasons why we find that the most successful people are those who've been with a company for a long time. The people who have a really strong social network inside the firm. Right. Rather than people who come in from outside, and so if you're a, if you don't have, if you're innovating, wanting to innovate inside a corporation, you don't have that strong set of relationships up and down the company, and find somebody who does, who can be, you know, your uh, collaborator on 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 your idea, because it is that informal network that allows most of these leaders um, to uh, achieve success. 
It's not formal processes. It's not having the structures and all the rest of it, which you read in a lot of innovation books. It's actually about the human relationships that lead us to be able to make this that stuff happen. So what, what um, I guess, practical advice can, can you give the, the leaders out there who are wanting to, to create a more innovative uh, business model? So the, well, the, well, I think the, for um, generating an innovative business model, you've got to have really strong insight into a customer problem that you want to solve. Right? So um, the oh, it's identifying the customer problems then that you want to solve. Absolutely. So say again. Identifying those then would be first step. Yes, absolutely. Then then you're going to um, try to generate ideas for how you solve them. What, what is there that the company has by way of assets or capabilities that might help solve that problem? Um, so um, let me give you another example. Um, so we, we talk in the book about um, Balaji Bondili. Um, he's a, uh, um, a consultant at Deloitte uh, yeah. in, uh, in the US. And he, he gets to, um, uh, he works on the, on the recovery from the, um, you know, the Boxing Day tsunami. Uh, and joins this sort of crowdsourcing um, effort that tries to get resources for the for the recovery uh, effort, and he learns that when you pull people together in this sort of crowd way, it can really work. It can solve tough problems, and he contrasts that with what it's like to work in a uh, a twenty first century consulting company, where it's you know on the road four or five days a week, in person at a client, and he thinks, well, hang on we can solve tough problems with this crowd. Why, why are we still in this old model, right? Mm. And, and he, again, builds his social network around the idea of can we, or I should say his customer problem that he then identifies is that Deloitte struggle to find new technical talent, right? Nobody really who's you know, a great coder or algorithm writer or whatever. They don't want to work for um, across the old uh, management consulting firm. They want to work in a startup. So how does he gain access to those people, that talent, is kind of the problem that he's trying to solve. And he draws on this experience of the crowd that he learned from the tsunami. And he starts to propose, hey, what if we actually used crowdsourced talent inside Deloitte? You know, and, and so he put together a business that he called Deloitte Pixel. As I said, he got help from a partner in the firm that he'd worked with who liked the idea, gave him access to a client to prove out sort of side by side with a traditional Deloitte team versus this new crowdsource method, which one, you know, worked, could you generate meaningful outcomes from it, proves that it works. And he builds more people around this results, get more access to clients, more ability to generate uh, ideas that work. Um, and so he, he then COVID happens and the business explodes, right? So he gets lucky, but he's there with this idea um, uh, that's proven, uh, that solves the customer problem. He has the social network around its support. And then when the opportunity comes, they're able to take it. And this is transforming the way that Deloitte does business today uh, and could uh, transform a lot of other consulting firms over time. Sounds like a... Well, a great reason why it's better to innovate within the company than maybe as a startup because you've got access yeah. to those resources. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you t roll up in front of a, a client and you've got a great piece of technology and 
you're like, well, so how many people are in your firm? And you're like, well, there's me, my mate and the dog. You know, that's quite different than if you say, hey, I'm a multi-billion dollar firm, you know, you, who's got a track record and, you know, you can rely on. Mm. So there are lots of reasons why doing innovation inside the firm is a good thing. It's not for everyone and it's not for everything, but it can be done and has been done. And that's the sort of the insight we want to bring people in this book, Corporate Explorer. Mm, mm. A lot of information in this book and a lot of case studies by the sounds of it. What are some ways managers can um, can lead change inside these companies? Yeah, so I, I think it the, the first one is build this social network. Find out yeah. who are your angels. You're going to need somebody who's going to give you access to resources. Not much, but some to get started. So there has to be an angel. You need some allies, people who are going to open up resources for you. Um, maybe it's to um, access to a product development um, capability or an engineer. Maybe it's some manufacturing, whatever it might be. Someone who's going to be an ally who's going to help you get things done. Then you're going to need advocates. And one of the things that's really tough about corporations is that they tend to work on rumors, right? And very little information is taken to trash an idea. Right. So you want to build up your advocates who are, who are able to counter that and can repeat the story of what the problem is you're solving, how you're doing it, and they understand it. Uh, and then you're going to need some ambassadors because there's still going to be people who are blockers. And you need somebody who's going to kind of go talk to them, work on your behalf to deal with the, um, uh, the people who want to kill the idea. So it's kind of have a strategy for managing influence um, uh, through the business and really um, be quite deliberate and thoughtful about how you, you do that. So that, that whole, I mean, is there, a, is there a, like, do you come up with a business plan as that individual so you can then identify these people, then go out to them and then give them the proposal? So, I mean, is it as complicated so, so, as that? So it, the, a business plan is, 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 is probably not what you need. You start, as I said before, with this customer problem, and you're going to want to get some resources to run an experiment. Think of this as if you're a scientist. How would you prove or disprove the hypothesis that the problem matters, people are willing to spend money on your solution, mm -hmm. and use those data, data this, and this is what... Um, uh, Balaji did, this is what um, Christian did. Get that and then get people interested in, in what you can do and go to the next level. Hey, I need a little bit of funding to see whether there are more customers like the ones that I've learned this about. And, and maybe I can add um, a higher um, quality version of my product or my solution um, if I had a little bit more money. And you move in increment towards your goal. That I would contrast with the traditional business, large business way of thinking, which is put a business plan together, tell me your five-year revenue projections, and get on with it. That's a terrible way to do it because you, you essentially, even if you're successful, you dig yourself a hole because you're going to get given money, but you don't really know where to spend it. And that's what leads to innovation failure very often is over-promising, investing ahead of what you know before you're sure what customers want and what you should build. And then you're trying to, trying to justify yourself, and that's what leads to the kinds of failures that we know exist in, in corporations. Mm. Good, good, good. What, what sort of hurdles can we expect in this process? I mean, you've obviously interviewed and, and dealt with a lot of people going yes. through this process. What, what are the couple of key hurdles that you can expect and 
how can we overcome them? Yeah, so the, the, the two big hurdles that, that, that you have are the measurement system and the way in which um, uh, certainly people are incented in the organization um, and then how your progress uh, as a new venture uh, is, is uh, inspected. And, and then on the other side, um, there are these sort of silent killers, though, as you mentioned earlier, these sort of hidden uh, norms and practices of the business um, that, that are sitting there willing to, to get you. Um, and, and so the, um, uh, the, the measurement thing um, is, is really a contrast between managing certainty and uncertainty, right? A traditional business, an operating business that's successful, you've got a track record. You mm. know how things function. You kind of know what customers want. You can predict to some degree what they'll do. And so that sort of system of, of measurement is well understood. But if you're doing a new venture, you've got to teach people how to think, not in terms of um, reacting to the past, but rather in terms of anticipating, well, what did we learn that proves or disproves our thinking about the, the problem and the, and the solution that we have? So it's a, it's a completely different logic. And this is something that many companies struggle with. And the corporate explorer has got to take on the job of teaching managers how to evaluate their progress. Right? Mm. One of the things, the traps they get into is trying to evade accountability. So like, well, just leave yeah. me alone, let me do this. That doesn't work either because accountability matters, right? You've got to, and, 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 and entrepreneurs are accountable to their boards and to their funders. Corporate explorers should be as well. And they just need to be accountable for different outcomes, right? So that's one set of things that, that, that you know, you, you're going to have as a trap. And the second one is these uh, silent killers. Um, you know, a great example that we've worked with was the French advertising company, Havas. And it um, made a determined effort under a CEO who saw the future, wanted to innovate. David Jones wanted to innovate to take Havas, a traditional advertising agency, into digital advertising. Mm. And so he acquired uh, this firm, Victors and Spoils, that did sort of crowdsourced creatives. And I don't know if you know anything about how advertising agencies work, but the creatives are the, the heart and soul, the sort of crown jewels of, of, of an advertising agency. Right. And what they were doing was saying, well, we don't need those anymore. We can just put it out. It's a crowdsourcing story again. You just put it out to the crowd and they'll respond with a great idea and we'll pick the one, the team that, go, that has the best idea. Radically lower cost, more flexible, and so on. And, and my, my Harvard colleague, Mike Tushman, uh, was with them doing a case study. And he had this video camera going around talking to all of the executives. And, um, and the, 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 he put the camera up in front of the head of creatives. And she was very clear. This is nonsense. How could they possibly replicate the quality, the craftsmanship of a creative in advertising? Mm. That's, a, that's, that's, that's the, the toxic assumptions of the old business, right? That's their defense of the past that's working. And the only way really to counter this is to bring it to the light of day. Don't, don't sort of pretend as if that isn't happening or uh, that, that people don't have the, that resistance. Because you know, in other contexts, 
um, people are less overt about it, right? They, they, they fail to talk about it. We like to maximize comfort, make it as if everything is okay and the old and the new can coexist, as opposed to talking about the reality of the challenge that is posed. Um, I think it's because people feel that they're admitting that they may not know enough about the future. They may not understand maybe digital technologies and so on. Mm. And so you have to admit some ignorance. Um, but you've got to get at, that out in the open. You can't pretend it isn't happening because in almost every story of innovation inside corporations, there's something going on like that. And there's always unknowns and uncertainties about yeah. the future, I guess, isn't there? And that's a big part of innovation. That, that is. Right. Um, testing and all that sort of stuff can minimize that uncertainty. But yeah. Absolutely. In, information reduces uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, a wise man once wrote, and that's that's what that's what the job of the corporate explorer is all about. So, in regards to the Great Resignation, that seems to be a, a key topic at the moment. Um, why why would this be so important for encouraging innovation within a company? Well, so one of the facts in the United States, and I don't know if this is true necessarily in other countries, but the Great Resignation goes side by side with a fourfold increase in registration of new companies. Yeah. In other words, a lot of these people quitting their jobs are going to start a new venture. And some of them will be a cafe or a, you know, whatever, something that's totally different. They want a change of life. But some of them will be their entrepreneurial aspiration, the problems they see in the world they want to solve. They'll be like Christian and Balaji and others. Why can't we help them do that inside the company? Create the space to allow some of that um, uh, invention, some of that um, vigor and, and, and uh, uh, um, passion, frankly, um, to come out. Because for me, when I sit with CEOs, they want to see those people in front of them. They want to have more of that, um, that entrepreneurial spirit inside the company. Make space for it because those people are there. You just need to let them come forward. Yeah, just create that engagement again. Yeah. Which is yeah. probably what's missing. It is. But, but I don't mean this as some kind of big innovation program that involves the entire company. That's not, that doesn't do us any good either. Because, because it, it, we're not all explorers, right? And we don't all have good ideas, right? We should all have the right to put it forward. But you know, quickly decide who, what are the great ideas? What are rooted in a good analysis of customers, customers' problems? What's a good idea for solving them? And those are the ones that you give a little funding for, find out if it's true, and then when you know that it's true, go all in. Mm. Um, that's, the, uh, that's what makes the difference. That's key. Mm. Um, so where can we, where would you want to leave us, mate? With the book, obviously, we'll get the link in the show notes for Corporate Explorer um, so people can have a look and, and download it. But any, any final words of wisdom um, for our, our innovators out there and corporate leaders? Yeah, I, I would say that hang on to this notion that Corporate Explorers do not get given the job, they take it. And that if there are people out there with ideas, I would go read the book, Corporate Explorer, and see how you can apply some of the lessons to get the same results, because it can be done. And, um, and it, it's a matter of having the same passion, the same commitment to your idea that an entrepreneur has, just using the resources that are there already. I think that's a really important thing for life in general, what you just said. Yes. Because it's easy in life, in, in whether it's relationships, work, whatever it might be, uh, health, to take a back seat. But if you can step up and have the courage to, to be that explorer, 
um, you can really innovate and and solve problems that will benefit many aspects of life in general. And you know, Lee, everybody thinks that explorers are crazy at first, right? You know, um, uh, if you know this lady, Tracy Edwards, who was the first woman to captain an all-female um, uh, team in the Whitbread Round the World Yacht Race, and, and the, the vitriol that she attracted for having the temerity to, to do this from, from many people. And yet, you know, first leg, she came second. Or the Apollo lunar landings were initially opposed by scientists and the whole, you know, it's like 23% of the US public supported the idea of lunar landings. Afterwards, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Explorers always face that, and you've got to have the commitment to what you believe to make things happen. Yeah, love it. How can people best uh, find out more about you and the book and where should they go? TheCorporateExplorer.com. Yep. Uh, and um, find me on LinkedIn, uh, Andrew J.M. Bins, B-I-N-N-S. B-I-N-N-S. Andrew, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on today. Great. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate it. Guys listening out there, check it out at thehiddenwire.com. This is episode 1030, I believe. Um, but you'll find all episodes, including this one, at thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels, using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon